who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to a super special pandemic episode of the Vulgar History Podcast. Now, the regular episodes of Vulgar History are a feminist women's history comedy podcast, and these pandemic specials are looking specifically at uh, interesting, weird, um, sad, just in just interesting stories of pandemics that humanity has faced before. And in my search for some interesting stories to share with you, I asked on my Instagram stories, and I got a great suggestion from uh, one of my followers whose name is This Cat Lady Life. Thank you so much. Which is to look at a village called Eme and what happened there in 1666 during the Great Plague. And so the village, the name of it, it's spelled E-Y-A-M. And as per their own website for this village. It's pronounced Eem, like E-E-M. So I'm hopefully pronouncing it properly. And Eem is a village in Derbyshire, which I also looked up how to pronounce that, that part of England, which, fun fact, is part of where the Mercians, Mercians lived. If you listen to my, the podcast about Ethelfled, Queen of the Mercians. So this is sort of that part of what, what she oversaw back in the day, but this is centuries after her. We're looking at the year 1666 and the Great Plague. So just for a point of clarification, because I didn't realize this myself until I started reading up on pandemics. So the Black Death is um, possibly the most famous plague that Britain and other parts of Europe suffered. And that was in like the 14th century-ish was when it happened. If you listen to the Joan of England pandemic super special, that's the the wave of things that she was going through. The Great Plague was when the bubonic plague reared its gross head again um, between 1665 and 1666. So there were two waves, like 300 years apart of the same sort of thing. Um, so the Black Death was kind of all over Europe everywhere. The Great Plague was largely a localized outbreak 
um, within Great Britain and focused mostly around London, as well as a couple of regional outbreaks in York and Derbyshire. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, and just so you know as well. So the Great Plague itself, um, it is a threat to London, came to an end after just one year, partially because there was the Great Fire of London happened, which killed a lot of people and burned down a lot of infrastructure. And then there was a particularly cold autumn and winter, which contributed to the disease dying out because it was transmitted by fleas. And I guess fleas don't like massive fires followed by cold temperatures. But what we're looking at is the part of what I just read to you, and that's from teachathistory.co.uk, where I looked up to see the difference between the Black Death and the Great Plague, but Derbyshire. So it was in London, but also got to a couple of little smaller locations, including the village of Eme. So, the Great Plague intermittently reared its head around Europe between the 13th and 17th centuries, killing an estimated 150 million people. The epidemic of 1665 to 1666 was particularly notorious and the last major outbreak of the disease in England. Um, around 100,000 people, one quarter of London's population, died during this one year period. I want to mention as well the sources I used for this. So I found an article from bbc.com by Eleanor Ross, an article from interestingengineering.com by Durya Ozdemir, uh, another article from BBC News by David McKenna, uh, Wikipedia, and also Atlas Obscura has a, an article about this, and I'll put all the links to that in the show notes. So this is a compilation of facts I learned from various different places, and it was every every source I looked at had a couple more interesting details and backed up and clarified some other things. So it's, it was an interesting thing to research. So it's 1665. And so the, the Great Plague is happening in London, this super squishy town where everybody's living really close to each other. And it reached this tiny village of Eam in the summer of 1665 when, so a London merchant sent flea-infested cloth samples to the local tailor, Alexander Hadfield, because they were preparing for this celebration that they have in Eam called um, Wakes Week. Just one sec. So Wakes Week at the end of August starts with the blessing of the wells and includes a lot of activities during the week. So it's just this sort of festival that's coming up. And so this guy, um, Alexander Hadfield, wanted to get some nice new fabrics to make some nice new outfits for people for Wakes Week. But um, the fabric samples came from London where the, the plague had kind of just started. Remember, it's carried in fleas. So... What happened is that George Vickers, who is the assistant of the tailor, he got the fabric samples and he's like, oh, these are sort of like little dusty, little smelly. He hung them up um, to dry and then that released these fleas, these plague fleas. And so within a week, George Vickers, the assistant, had died a an agonizing death of the plague. Before long, the rest of the household had fallen ill and died. So that was in that summer of 1665. After Vickers' death... Uh, the disease just spread throughout the whole community. So that was in August. And then by December, 42 villagers would also have died. There's a brief intermission where the rate of infections dropped and everyone is like, oh my God, okay, that's you know great. This is good. Because bear in mind, so Eam at this point had something, it had less than 400 villagers. Just one sec. Um, it was a little teeny tiny village. Anyway, we'll get to the numbers later. But there's something like, Oh, yeah. So there's 344 people in the village and 42 people died over those four months between August and December. So that's horrible. Everyone's freaking out, obviously. Um, but then 
things took a turn for the worse. So the plague made a blistering return. It mutated and became pneumonic, which means that instead of it just being transmitted by fleas, uh, now humans could transmit it to one another directly instead of being infected by fleas alone. So this is like the next, the next summer, effectively. So it started in sort of the summer of 1665, and it's by the summer of 1666, where things were just getting horrible again. So as a disease spread, the villagers obviously wanted to flee because they what everybody kind of like instinctively knew and still kind of know it's like when someone's really sick when like everyone is really sick around you you just want to maybe stay away from them because you could even if you don't understand how germs work what contagion means like you just kind of get the sense of like well everyone around here seems to be dying so i'm just gonna like not be here so the villagers wanted to flee but their newly appointed rector william mompesson had a different idea because so he suspected that if they fled from Eme, they would transmit the outbreaks to, to other nearby cities and make it make it even worse for everybody in all of all of England, all of the United Kingdom. If the villagers went to another town and then went to another town, like it would just spread and be even more horrible for everybody. So he was a man of a uh, Puritan religion, was he? No, no, he was not Puritan, but he was very um, religious. And he thought the rightful course of action was to self-quarantine the town, to leave them all there so they couldn't infect anybody else. But um, that's a tough sell to a town to tell them like, hey, why don't we all just stay here, all die to help the rest of the United Kingdom? So not a really easy thing for him to convince the town, especially because no one liked him. So he is unpopular with the villagers because he'd been sent to Eam in 1664 to replace the previous rector, Thomas Stanley. And Thomas Stanley is the one who was a Puritan. So Stanley had refused to acknowledge the 1662 Act of Uniformity, which made it compulsory to use the Book of Common Prayer introduced by Charles II in religious services. Um, Stanley, along with most of the people of Eam, had been supporters of Oliver Cromwell and the Puritan government. And so once Charles II came back for the restoration, Eam slash Thomas Stanley were not into that. And then so the officials removed him, brought in Mompasson to take over. But what was his name? William Mompasson. So he really felt like this is what they had to do. They had to self-quarantine the town. He knew that he couldn't convince them to do it. So he reached out to Thomas Stanley, who he had replaced in the hope that they could team up and that Stanley, who was still popular with the town, could help him convince them to do this. So Thomas Stanley was living in exile on the outskirts of the village because he had been basically kicked out. Um, and they agreed to meet and came up with a plan. So, on June 24th, 1666, William Mompasson, assisted by Thomas Stanley, told the parishioners that the village must be enclosed, with no one allowed in or out. He had it, They had it all planned out, so the Earl of Devonshire, who lived nearby, had offered to send food and supplies if the villagers agreed to be quarantined. He said that if they agreed to stay, effectively choosing death, like for them to all sacrifice themselves to die, he, um, Mompasson, would do everything in his power to alleviate the suffering and remain with them, telling them he was willing to sacrifice his own life rather than see nearby communities destroyed by this plague. His wife, Catherine, who is 27 years old, recorded in her diary, quote, it might be difficult to predict the outcome because of the resentment as to William's role in the parish, but considering that Reverend Stanley was now stood by his side, perhaps he would gain the support necessary to carry out the day. So during the meeting, 
She wrote, there were many misgivings over the wisdom of this plan, obviously, because the plan is like, let's just all stay here, quarantine in a village together, and all die so that the plague we have doesn't spread to anyone else. But with the help of Thomas Stanley, who's still really popular, and the, the whole community is sort of deeply held Puritan spiritual beliefs um, that, you know, with the strong faith in, you know, concept of heaven and hell and doing the right thing, they reluctantly agreed to the plan. And so quarantine began. So it was organized like this. Rocks were placed in a one mile circle around Eam to create sort of a boundary of where they could stay, like how far they could go. Uh, this would be their isolation zone. So in order to pay for supplies, the villagers would soak their coins in vinegar, which they felt would um, disinfect them from the plague. And maybe, I don't know, vinegar, it's a good, strong thing. Maybe it did, whatever. So they would soak coins in vinegar and then would take them out to these rocks, which have been put around to sort of mark the, the perimeter. And the rocks, they had sort of drilled holes in them. So they would put the coins in the holes in the rocks and then merchants from surrounding villages would come by take the coins out of the holes in the rocks and leave bundles of meat, grains, etc. in return for what they had bought. You can still visit these stones today, actually. Um, they're now a tourist attraction and people still put coins inside the holes to sort of honor the plague victims. So, and against what one might assume, it seems that Eames townsfolk, they stoically accepted this and made a pact with God to remain. Although, part of that could be because if they tried to leave, they weren't really welcome anywhere else. For instance, one woman left Eam to travel to a nearby market five miles away. When people realized where she was from, they threw food at her and shouted, The plague! The plague! So, it was kind of known what was going on in Eam. So, more people died, um, and the village began to collapse, like the entire infrastructure and economy of it. Roads were left to crumble, untended gardens became overgrown, crops were left unpicked in fields, leaving villagers to rely on these food packages from neighboring towns. Uh, so church services were held in the open air to reduce the spread of disease, but by August, and remember they started their quarantine in June, uh, the effects of the plague were such that 267 people had died out of a population of 344. So that's most almost everybody. So those who didn't catch it probably had a, a chromosome or some sort of natural immunity to the disease which stopped them from falling ill. But people obviously try to think about like, well, why is it? Why do some people die and some people don't? So they did things like uh, superstitious rituals such as smoking tobacco and fervent prayer. Um, so apparently uh, plague victims knew they had been struck by the pox when they began to smell sweet odors. So the pleasant scent was brought on by a person's olfactory glands, detecting that their internal organs were collapsing and rotting. So this, coupled with the fact that diseases were thought to be carried through the air, led to the villagers doing things like wearing masks stuffed, stuffed with herbs. Some even sat in sewers because they thought that smell was so bad the plague couldn't get you there. So the whole thing about um, smelling. Um, so Mompazan, his wife, Catherine, whose diary we have some of these records for... So he went for a walk in the nearby hills with his wife, and she spoke about the sweet smell in the air and then died the following morning, age 27. Um, in his letters, Mampasson described the smell of sadness and death in the air. So everything was just, like, beyond horrific. So the stonemason died, meaning that villagers had no choice but to engrave their own tombstones and bury their own dead. 
So people would drag bodies down the street by tying ropes around the victim's feet to avoid contact with the actual dead body. Um, Entire families died one after another. The plague was at its peak this month, so August 1666, where five to six people would die per day. And this was partially also because this was a hot summer, meaning the fleas were especially active. So it was passing human-to-human contact, but it was also passing through the fleas as well. Um... A woman named Elizabeth Hancock, who was a survivor of this whole situation, she buried six of her children and her husband, one after another, eight days in a row. She had to drag their bodies across the fields and bury them, while people from the nearby village of Stony Middleton stood on the hill and watched her too scared to help. The small graveyard where she buried her family members is now a national trust monument known as Riley Graves. There's another plague survivor, also forced to bury his own family, named Marshall Howe. So he was tasked with the job of burying people after the grave diggers had all died, I guess. And he had been infected during the early stages of the outbreak, but survived. And he believed that he couldn't be infected twice. So he enjoyed his job, apparently, um, partially because he would help himself to the victim's possessions as his rewards. So he just steal stuff from their body as he buried them. However, um, his son, his two-year-old son, William, and his wife, Joan, both died of the plague, potentially because they were infected through the items he stole from the dead, or just because he was handling all the bodies all the time. Um, so after the summer's end, the worst of it would cease because I think it sounds like everybody who was immune to it was okay, and everyone who was susceptible to it had died. The number of cases fell in September, and the last death from from this great plague in Eam occurred on November 1st, 1666, and when farm worker Abraham Morton died. So November, the disease was gone. It had been 14 months running through the, the whole town, and only 83 people were left alive out of the previous town's population of 344. And with further transmission prevented, they had what they had hoped to do had in fact transpired. They prevented the disease from spreading to other nearby towns. And then the Great Fire of London, the cold winter, and the Great Plague ended in the United Kingdom. So William Mompasson, now widowed, he left Eam in 1669 to work in another village, but his the reputation, like people knew he had been in the plague village. So they just kind of didn't want to be around him. He was forced to live in a hut outside the city until the residents' fears had abated and they could they were brave enough to be near him again. Uh, life returned to normal in Eam as much as it can when, like, whatever, 80% of your entire tiny town population has all died. But trade resumed relatively quickly, partially because of there was lead mining there. And that's kind of why the town had been created in the first place back in, like, back in the day, like, Ethelfled, Queen of the Mercia's day. Um, it had been a town used for mining during the Roman occupation as well. So it's the natural resources, I guess. Um, So the lead mining was too valuable to ignore. So the town kind of got back on its feet. Every year on Plague Sunday, so the last Sunday in August, a memorial service is held in the nearby hollow of Cuckalit Delph, which is the site of the outdoor services held by Reverend Montpasson during the plague years. And the town has... um, a plague village museum. It's still a really small town. I th- believe there's less than a thousand people living there still, but this is very much their claim to fame. And I think as well, should it be, they did 
this very brave, very noble sacrifice um, to protect themselves. And it really seemed like it, it really helped the whole situation as well. It helped the Great Plague from getting worse in all the nearby villages. And it's a horrifying story. And I'd never heard of this before. And when I went to research it, actually, there's a couple of other recent articles have popped up because of the current pandemic that's going on, people thinking about quarantine and stuff. So thank you to this cat lady life on Instagram for uh, the suggestion of this story. And this is the Vulgar History Podcast pandemic special. I hope you're all keeping well. Um, I'm glad that the current sort of quarantine that we're all on now is not we're all just staying in our houses to die but we are doing it to help each other out in a very sort of community oriented way so the opposite of what happened in eam and we're all keeping to ourselves to try and keep everybody safe in sort of a global international scale anyway um i hope if you're the sort of person who likes listening to plague stories this is interesting to you I have some more pandemic specials coming up later on. A regular episode will be coming out on Wednesday as per usual. And I'll talk to you all next time. Okay, take care. Bye. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Oh, let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales.